The Start On Demand. On demand. Well, that was a doozy of a news conference from the province on Wednesday as they are now moving from trying to contain COVID-19 to mitigating the risk of COVID-19. So what does that mean for you? Global News has launched a new series called Influenced. Should Ottawa regulate social media? Are you still waiting for Christmas packages? Delays at Canada Post as COVID-19 staff shortages spread and supply chain issues after the disaster in British Columbia. And a Calgary retiree has rediscovered his love of unicycling. What hobby would you revisit if given the chance? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Thursday, January 13th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, thank you very much for joining us this Thursday morning. And Greg, typically when I watch something that runs for 92 minutes, it's they, it, that sounds like the length of a feature film from the 1980s, maybe a comedy or a horror film. That's, that's about the ballpark for what a movie like that should be. But uh, yesterday, spent 92 minutes watching a provincial news conference on YouTube. <laughs> How many coach cushions out of five do you give it, Brett? Uh, oh, that's interesting. I've never thought about that. I think I would give, uh, let's go with, uh, say, three and a half. Certainly, I'm I, I, impressed that they, that they went that long. I think that's you know, good that they stayed and answered all the questions that were, were coming their way. Uh, because I think, uh, based on everything we heard yesterday, lots of questions are bouncing around, Greg. Hospital capacity, education questions, the questions about how numbers are being counted. Also, uh, you know, what is the future? And of course, uh, I think one of the things, uh, if you want to look at a positive side, the effectiveness of that third shot, that booster shot of the vaccine and its ability to keep you out of hospital, to keep you away from serious ramifications of uh, this uh, Omicron variant of COVID-19. It was a very long uh, media discussion, a very long news conference. And I don't know if we got all the answers we wanted. I, I would suggest, uh, Loren, we got some answers that maybe we didn't want in terms of the shift of focus here and the suggestion that mm, we're kind of uh, we're kind of on our own on this <laughs> to a certain extent in terms of strategies to avoid uh, catching and contracting COVID-19 and passing it along to our friends and family. Well, I, I guess it was an admittance that we're at this point that there are so many cases, so many people testing positive that there is, I, what they're saying is there only so much they can do. Uh, the quote from Premier Heather Stephenson, I think, was essentially, you know, it's up to Manitobans to look after themselves in the sense of trying to find ways to control the spread they're they're not i don't say they're done with trying to contain it because we still have existing public health measures in place and i just got a letter from our school last night with all the ways they're working to work to space the kids out next week and so there there are still things that are happening to try to limit the spread but they're essentially saying that we can't just work to contain it we have to try to live with it and so here we are and i think you know there's some people who listen to that and thought what like we've heard hospitals 
talk about how they're at the brink. We've had doctors. We, there was a clip from uh, Dr. Christian Thompson just in the news run there with Jeff Braun saying, like, the struggles that they're having are so very real in hospitals with with them being at capacity. And so some people might be saying, what? We're just going to live with this. And others might be saying, yeah, well, what else are we going to do? Because it is so rampant and it's everywhere. So we'll have lots of conversations about this this morning at 637. We're going to share more of that audio from the three and a half star reviewed couch cushion reviewed (laughs) newser and uh, also get into this whole how they're gathering some of the data because I know that's the number. That's the one thing that stuck out for a lot of Manitobans yesterday is when Health Minister Audrey Gordon talked about how one third of the cases in the hospital are COVID positive are there because people have COVID and it's causing problems versus two thirds who might be there for other reasons and are also testing positive for COVID or also happen to have COVID. And so there's there's a lot of important questions around that because Dr. Atwell later went on to say, look, we're just trying to harvest this data, but it takes a lot of time. It's not as new easy as you might think to do that because someone might come in and have a heart condition and the COVID can exacerbate some problems or it can lead to clots. And so it's not as simple as saying, oh, yeah, and they also have COVID, but that's not the problem. They're having heart issues. So it gets very confusing and muddy. We're going to try to work through some of it, Greg, because this is where we are. We're, we're almost two years into this. And, and maybe some people are ready to say, let's live with it. Others might not. I'd agree with that and uh, received uh, a bunch of different messages from people in my life over the course and throughout uh, yesterday's news conference and the statements and and you know so it's confusing for some people we're going to do our best to break it down and we're also going to try and get and air a variety of different points of view on on what this means and and where this takes us so uh, no shortage of conversation uh, on the COVID-19 front I, I'd like to say unfortunately this morning Brett Indeed, and also this morning, this hour, a bit later this half hour, we'll uh, we'll lighten things up a little bit. There's a man in Calgary who has revisited an, an old hobby. He has rediscovered his love of unicycling. This is a retiree who's dusted off the unicycle that he first tried out when he was 15 years old, and that is going to prompt us to ask you which hobbies... Which hobby could you see yourself revisiting? Or maybe you have already decided to revisit an old hobby uh, throughout the pandemic. I often think, and this is going to sound so dorky, but I don't care because I'm a huge nerd. But uh, I often think about, you know, I'd like to, I like collecting comic books. And, That's uh, great. Yeah, but uh, I, and it's actually something that I have revisited a couple of times and usually I end up having to stop because I'll go in, Loren, to to buy a specific comic. Mm-hmm. And then I start buying, oh, maybe I'll try this one. And then maybe I'll try that one. And suddenly I'm collecting 15 different titles. And then I think, well, A, this is costing me too much. And B, I don't have time to read 15 comic books every two weeks. So and then I, I just pull the pin. The, the collections can be fun. Like I, I, I totally get it. And you know, my mother-in-law dropped off. She had must have saved them over the years. Uh, last summer, a box of Archie comics that must have been. And there's some Spider-Man in there and other ones that her kids, my husband, would have had. And man, we tore through that. I'm looking right now at a shoebox and three different boxes of hockey cards uh, in our basement. And some of them are my kids, and some of them 
were also collected by my husband and are, you know, 25 years old. And during this pandemic, man, my youngest has been going through them. I think he's convinced there's a million dollar card in there somewhere <laughs> because he's always like yelling at a player, Google this one, mom. And I'm like, it's worth a dollar 89 on eBay. We're not getting rich off this box, son. Like, let it go. But he is working his way through thousands of them because I think he thinks his big ticket, his ticket is in there. It's not, but it's fun. The Manitoba government is making a big change in how they're handling the COVID-19 pandemic, shifting from containing the virus to mitigating the impact. COVID-19 is no longer an emerging illness. It is here to stay and our ability to contain the virus is limited. It is highly likely that everyone will be exposed to the virus in the coming weeks. That's Dr. Jazz Atwal, Deputy Chief Provincial Public Health Officer, who says the Omicron variant has forced the province to regroup and change strategies. Public health officials warn that one person infected with Omicron could give it to 12 to 16 other people. That's four times the spread of Delta. That means they'll be pushing even harder now to get people vaccinated and rely on each other. Global's Marnie Blunt has more. As Omicron grips Manitoba and caseloads skyrocket, the province is shifting its strategy from prevention to mitigation. We need to start looking at longer term and how we're going to live with this, with this, uh, uh, with this virus. The province has already altered its testing and contact tracing protocols to deal with surging caseloads. That's also prompting a shift away from monitoring daily caseloads to focusing on hospitalizations and ICU cases. Shifting our approach does not mean public health has given up the fight against COVID-19. It means we are shifting our approaches to focus our efforts and our resources to best manage the risk. But no additional restrictions to manage that risk. The Premier says her government is taking advice from public health officials, but wouldn't say if public health recommended more stringent rules. Every day, new ideas. You know, we could, you know, we could do this, we could do that. But I will say that, um, you know, as policy, we are, we are policymakers as governments, and it's up to us to ensure that we take a balanced approach. Even with hospital and ICU capacity pushed to the brink, provincial officials stressed this does not mean they're stepping down from the fight against COVID-19. I don't want the message to Manitobans to be that we've somehow lost sight of what is happening in hospitals and ICUs. We are meeting on a daily, hourly basis. Public health officials say this is all the more reason to prioritize getting vaccinated. As recent data shows, after two shots, you're 19 times less likely to wind up in the ICU. And after a booster, that number goes up to 139 times less likely. Marnie Blunt, Global News. Those numbers are worth reinforcing that Marnie just mentioned there at the end of her story because Dr. Atwell said yesterday most Manitobans are likely to be exposed to Omicron in the near future. But as Dr. Joss Reimer explained, it's about the impact that the virus could have where the vaccines play a part. We can see that someone who received one dose of the vaccine is three times less likely to end up in the ICU compared to someone who is unvaccinated. If you have had two doses, you are 19 times less likely to be admitted to the ICU. And after the booster dose, we are seeing that people are an incredible 139 times less likely to need ICU care than someone who is unvaccinated. On the final slide, we have the same uh, graph looking at uh, the risk of death related 
to um, COVID-19 and by vaccination status. And again, we see the same pattern where those people who have had one and then two and then three doses have increasingly lower and lower risks of these severe outcomes. The vaccine is not providing the protection we had hoped against Omicron infection overall, but this data that uh, comes from December uh, and is Manitoba data is very reassuring about how we can continue to protect ourselves against ending up in the hospital or worse. There was a lot of information shared in that 90-minute news conference, including a number that caught many people's attention. And that was Health Minister Audrey Gordon breaking down some of the hospitalization data. They did a recent survey at HSC, which found one-third of admissions were from complications from the virus. Two-thirds were people who came in for another reason, but also have COVID-19. That we haven't seen in previous waves is that only one-third of Manitoba's COVID-positive hospitalizations are being hospitalized because of COVID. The other two-thirds are being hospitalized for another medical reason, but happen to be COVID-positive. So other provinces like Saskatchewan and Ontario have started breaking down the numbers in this way. They have an incidental category in Saskatchewan, for example, and, and officials there have said that's in part because the spread is so rampant. They're trying to get an, an idea of what's going on within the hospital system. There's a lot of reaction to this one, including from people who work within the hospital. So Dr. Tim Hebert uh, is an internist in Winnipeg. He took to Twitter last night to say the admitted with COVID versus due to COVID is what he calls a false flag. Here's his tweet. It minimizes the impact on patients who become infected with COVID after they are admitted, i.e. already sick and get COVID on top. This, he says, often has dire consequences. In fact, all patients in hospital with COVID require extra resources regardless due to infection control needs. Dr. Hebert goes on to say, it's also difficult to distinguish. For example, COVID triggers clots, so heart attacks, strokes, other blood clot-associated illnesses could be the diagnosis of record, but in fact caused by COVID. Dr. Hebert added, the with COVID versus from COVID means little to him. In his opinion, he says they all need medical care, and he believes... Quote, it is intended to distract us from governmental failures and make the current wave seem less severe. That's just one of the reactions out there, Greg, but I know that's a number that has a lot of people talking. The number of people in hospital is the number of people in hospital, how and why they're there. Uh, Might be interesting to some folks. And also the number of people in the ICU, that's the number of people in the ICU. The, the, The pressure on the healthcare system, Brett, is absolutely undeniable. The headline at globalnews.ca, Pandemic Pursuit, Calgary Retiree Rediscovers Unicycling. So getting outside, of course, staying active, helping a lot of people get through the COVID-19 pandemic. And this Calgary man is rediscovering an unusual pursuit and helping others enjoy the outdoors while he is at it. And uh, he first started unicycling when he was 15, I guess put it away for a while, and now he's gone back to it. So... That had us thinking, which hobby would you revisit? Or maybe you already have revisited a, a hobby that you sort of left behind for a long time. So tell us a story. 204-780-6868 for a chance to win. $20 gift card, Santa Lucia pizza. Loren McNabb, let's start with you. Well, I'm just trying to find the name uh, of it, but I 
I oh here it is yes okay so I bought this for my kid the other day because we have some doctor's appointments we need to get to and you have to pass the time in the doctor's office and it was the spirographs do you remember those yeah like it's like those little cool things that make designs except for I cannot figure out how I used to do it as a as a kid like so I bought it and I thought oh my gosh this is gonna be so great you're gonna love this and he just. He just looks at it and just starts drawing on his own because we, we couldn't figure it out. So I would like to get back to the kind of those fun things we used to do when we were little, like the spirograph or um, we used to make those little wheel things, like just crafts, like things that were fun with the kids that uh, I would get along with. Like that one where you used to divide the paper into four corners and then you'd lift it up and had different answers. Does anyone remember what I'm talking about? Like you'd, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Like it was a little, I don't, I'm, I wish you could see me. I'm doing the action and you would like... <laughs> And you have to go Does one, two, three, me? four. Yes or no? Then, yes, no. Yes, yes, no. Yes, no. Then you pick up, yeah. I want, I want 80s craft night, basically, is what I'm getting at. <laughs> that sounds outstanding. Like, great fun. Um, Fortier. You know what? I'm, uh, my cousin was actually talking to me about this on uh, Christmas Eve, but uh, getting into a pipe band or, you know, getting back, you know, on the drums, but maybe joining a pipe band. I think that'd be great. Uh, Getting back to my roots of drumming and, you know, being in a big band with a lot of people is just, there's nothing like it. So, I, you know, I think I might actually uh, take that up. Did you say a pipe band? Yes. Like bagpipes. So you want to play a bagpipe, but you also want, no, or you want to be the drummer for the bagpipe? The, well, there's drums, there's more than just bagpipes and a pipe band. Okay. Well, I wasn't sure if you wanted to do both, maybe. No, I no, have no. to find the picture. When I was in band, we we had a marching band in the streets, and I one time had to wear the big drum. You know, like the big... The bass drum? Bass drum that you'd strap on like a huge thing on your chest and just walk down the street banging that. It was great fun. <laughs> I know. Well, that's I'm the in your, thing. Can I be in your band? <laughs> well, I don't have a band yet. <laughs> well, now we do. Me and you, Loren. It's going down. <laughs> Jeff, Ron, what about you? Um, I, the thing I took up again last year for the first time in 20 years is I got a bicycle, which uh, I know the, the story we were talking about was the guy with the unicycle. For me, it was just two wheels was challenging enough after not having rid a bike for 20 or 25 years. Uh, I, I got, my buddy gave me an old bike of his and I rode it all summer long. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. So I'm glad to be back on that thing. A bike. I haven't rode a bike since I was, I bet you, 15 years old. That's also something I wouldn't mind revisiting. Jeff, thanks for reminding me on that. Poitras, what about you? Uh, I have this, uh, there was like a, a period of time, it was about six months, and I bought myself a violin, and it's now sitting in the basement here, and I keep staring at it, and it keeps looking at me. It's got these piercing eyes as it goes right into my soul, <laughs> telling me to keep playing, get back on it. Uh, so I, I took a, a bunch of classes and I'm, I'm the kind of person like if I took classes, I would be I keep going. But then I get I let life get in the way and I'll I, I, I stop doing it. But I, I have it in the basement. I have no excuse. I got all the stuff um, and I and I and I want to do it. The will is there. The will is there. But uh, the body is weak. <laughs> That's just like me and my keyboard. <laughs> the one that sits in my living room that I, I paid five, six hundred dollars for. And yeah. I, I learned Motley Crue Home Sweet Home on it and. That's all she wrote. <laughs> why do I get the feeling that why do I get the feeling that I'm gonna have to go to like the world's worst concert someplace <laughs> or something? <laughs> I was just about to drop in. I the only I was at the start of the pandemic that Jeff Braun made a comment about piano and I should learn everybody knows your name, like the Cheers theme song. And that's yeah. the last thing I played on it, which was the start of this pandemic. <laughs> well, it so. was Braun who suggested to me to learn Motley Crue Home Sweet Home, and that's why <laughs> that's why I did it. It's all Braun. Well, you need another challenge now. When I was taking those violin lessons, they were saying, well, you have to have a recital. 
and they were, and I was just like, so like with a bunch of kids and I'll be like, there'll be like these five and six year olds. And then there'll be this 30 year old me up there. Like I was like trying to work my way to get out of that. So I was trying to work all the Cam, angles. I, I couldn't go through with that. By the end of June, Cam, I want to hear you playing uh, The Devil Went Down to Georgia on your face. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, you're set a Another high, suggestion. <laughs> uh, School of Rock. <laughs> Mackling, what about you? Well, I'm sitting here staring at my drums uh, that keep calling my name. But now that everybody's home, uh, they are an impossibility. I know I could wear the headphones, but I like to sing along. I'm from the school of just because you can't do something doesn't mean you shouldn't. Uh, but interesting things happening in my house. Uh, the, the boys got a puzzle for Christmas. I think it was about a 300-piece puzzle. And uh, Brendan knocked that thing out in about an hour a few nights ago. And I came home from doing some errands the day before yesterday. And there's this box from Indigo on the step. And I'm going, I didn't order anything from Indigo. It wasn't for me. It was for Brendan. He had ordered a puzzle, a thousand-piece puzzle with a different cereal boxes uh as part of the picture well he did the thing yesterday in about three four hours just knocked out a thousand piece puzzle so apparently puzzles are a thing in my house now so i might have to get on board with that oh man i would i would love i would love to uh do that but i i just i have nowhere to put it like i because i would not knock out a thousand piece puzzle in a couple of hours so it would just end up sitting there taking up whatever space that it's consuming what i would really like to try um, I, when, last time I was in McNally Robinson, they have like a huge, uh, section of 3d puzzles where you can oh, build yes. like, like, like they, I'm looking at one right now. They've got a Harry Potter puzzle. You can build the, yep. the night bus. Oh, uh, I've, I've never tried a 3d puzzle. So that looks like something that, um, would be very fun. Although probably very frustrating. Cause I, I would probably be very bad at it. But I would like to try that. Why do you that. say that? I don't know. Because I'm clumsy <laughs> and not very good with puzzles. Tackling <laughs> McGarry and McNabb. We were talking about hobbies and the subject of puzzles came up. Maybe you've got a puzzle in the mail. Like maybe you ordered someone for a puzzle for Christmas. And uh, hey, are you still waiting for that package that was supposed to be here for Christmas? Perhaps you put something in the mail weeks ago and it still hasn't arrived at its destination. Yeah, so this segment here, Brett, is actually inspired by one of our listeners who's texted to say, uh, do you know if there's a backlog in deliveries? They wrote, quote, this past holiday, lots of mail never reached its destination. We made complaints to the post office, but hardly got any feedback. So I actually had a few friends go through this as well. I reached out to Canada Post and no surprise, like many places, Omicron is impacting staffing. They basically have a shortage going on of, of workers. They declined our interview request, but in a statement did say they're working on contingency plans, Greg, but are still warning customers may experience delays over the next few weeks. Well, nothing like stretching out the Christmas holidays uh, for a few more weeks. So what is the situation in the warehouses and on the streets for mail carriers? Matthew Aiken is the president of the Canadian Union of Postal Workers here in Winnipeg and joins us now. Good morning, Matthew. Good morning. Thanks for having me. We appreciate you taking the time and uh, bringing us some insight. So more packages or fewer staff? What's the issue? Yeah, it's probably a combination of both things, you know, with uh, retail services being a bit shorter than they used to be, uh, people not going out to stores as much. Uh, we're seeing, you know, we've seen parcel volumes, uh, postal workers have seen parcel volumes increase since the beginning of the pandemic. 
Um, you know, the company suspended all delivery standards uh, when the pandemic started. And so there hasn't, even if your mail is a little bit late uh, right now, that's, uh, that's onside. There, there's no, uh, you know, there's no standards right now. Um, postal workers have been putting up with a, a, all kinds of policy changes uh, since the beginning of this pandemic. Everybody trying to do, uh, you know, the best thing in the moment and trying to keep people safe. And uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's leading to some logistical delays for sure. What sort of delays are you seeing? Like, are we talking days or weeks? It's hard to know. I mean, um, you know, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff in this country, honestly, it comes through Vancouver. Uh, you know, a lot of your, a lot of the stuff from, uh, from a lot of Asian countries gets filtered through Vancouver. And when they had their, uh, when the Coquihalla washed out last month, um, that certainly caused a lot of delays. I know a lot of mail was delayed in the interior of British Columbia and throughout the rest of the country. Uh, the corporation worked on contingency plans, flying uh, certain products that they normally would ship by ground. Um, and this, yeah, it, it, it's caused a chain reaction on all kinds of uh, all kinds of delivery. Any estimate in terms of what kind of shortages you're seeing for staff? That was Canada Post's response, and they're just basically, you know, Omicron's impacting um, staffing levels. And so I'm just curious what you're seeing or hearing uh, in the workplace when it comes to, is it, you know, 10%, 20% of staff? What, what What's the number if you have one, Matthew? Yeah, sure. Uh, large capitalist entities like corporations, they really try to keep staffing low, um, you know, as razor thin as they can uh, for their margins. And so when something like Omicron comes into our community, I mean, postal workers are people just like anybody else. So with a, you know, with a test positivity rate of 47% and a provincial government absolutely abandoning all of its responsibilities to keep people safe. Yeah, you know, postal workers like regular people are going to get caught up in that. Uh, we have some, uh, you know, we have a system of temporary letter carriers, relief letter carriers who come out and fill in on routes. But, uh, you know, our temporary letter carriers, also people who also get sick. Um, so, you know, when, when test positivity rates are so high and, and there are so many people uh, getting sick, um, yeah, they're not showing up to work. The union has also, uh, the Canadian Union of Postal Workers has also ensured uh, that all of our workers have excellent leave provisions uh, so that if they do get sick, um, they're not losing a lot of money. And that's why it's important probably for every workplace uh, to have a solid uh, union representing all of the workers that are there so that everybody gets uh, the sick leave and stuff they deserve. We're seeing some governments like the NDP government in British Columbia and the Trudeau government in Ottawa coming out with paid sick leave plans for workers. Uh, these programs need to be expanded so that everybody can, uh, so that all workers can feel safe and taken care of uh, if they get sick. Just one last follow-up, Matthew, before we let you go. Because this was spawned by a listener who had questions about their holiday packages, is it possible the deliveries for you know pre-Christmas deliveries are still making their way to their destinations, pre-Christmas orders? Yeah, I mean, if, if you had a parcel stuck in, in Richmond, British Columbia, yeah, I mean, there, there could still be some stuff that's there. Uh, generally, Canada Post, we don't, Canada Post the, you know, the postal workers, we don't want to keep your stuff around. Um, you know, space is really at a premium. Uh, in these facilities and uh, and housing stuff is not uh, it's just not how it works stuff comes in stuff goes out and that's what uh, that's what everybody is focused on doing management postal workers everybody um, so storing stuff is not our business uh, taking stuff in and, and putting it out is is what we do and uh, so if you're waiting for something from before Christmas it's possible it's in a trailer somewhere it's it's um, you know, if you've been in these facilities, you can see what absolute mountains of, uh, you know, just mountains and mountains of parcels and stuff like that that we're dealing with sometimes. Uh, it's, 
it's hard to say where something might be, but it'll never. It's never too late for a Christmas miracle. Matthew Aitken, president of the Canadian Union of Postal Workers here in Winnipeg, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Matthew, thank you for the time. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much. Small town salute. A couple of years ago, I had a nice little romantic getaway. I guess oh, this is three years ago now. It was 2018. Nice little romantic getaway at a place called Barrier Bay Resort. Now, this was a summer getaway, but they're open year-round, and they messaged me the other day about a desire to honor frontline workers in conjunction with a Valentine's Day giveaway. So for details on that, we're joined by Erica Seals, who is the co-owner of Barrier Bay Resort. Hello there, Erica. Good morning. So you would probably do a better job at explaining this than I would uh, because it was the one, it was the first time I'd been out there and the only time I'd been to that part of Manitoba. So where is Barrier Bay Resort? Barrier Bay Resort is in the North White Shell. So it's just east of Seven Sisters. And a lot of people are familiar with Newtimic Lake. So we're about five minutes before Newtimic Lake and just after Dorothy. So let's talk about that drive out there, um, Erica, and just what the surroundings are like, you know, because there's such interesting parts of our province where you might go uh, west and have more hills or, or head your direction and see more rock and lakes. Like, tell us a bit about what the drive out is like and what you like about your region. We're on the Canadian Shield, so it's yeah. absolutely stunning. It looks it looks like Sweden, we hear a lot from our, our European guests. They tell us, this is what Sweden looks like. It's gorgeous. There's lots of trees and rocks and and uh, lots of climbing. In the wintertime, of course, we have tons of cross-country ski trails that are just gorgeous, well-groomed. And we have hiking trails everywhere that are year-round hiking trails that go to gorgeous falls and rapids around the area. And the drive out here is it's not that far. From Winnipeg, it's about an hour and a half. And most of it is good highway. And then in the park roads, well, you know, you just go slow. Erica, am I uh, am I leaving the kids at home if I come to Barrier Bay <laughs> Resort? Like, is this Barrier a place Bay? for me to bring the teenagers, or do I do oh, I do I leave oh. them with Grandma and Grandpa? Absolutely, we are an adults only resort. There are thirteen resorts mm-hmm. in the North White Shell, and we are the only one that is adults only. We cater to. We used to cater to exclusively like romantic getaways, but with COVID over the last two years, we've had a lot of mental health getaways. People come by themselves and do a personal retreat and just stay by the lake. It's quiet. You can watch the birds. We have foxes and wolves and deer, all kinds of nature, just sort of reconnect with nature, have a quiet time. It's always very quiet here. And uh, people are using, using Barrier Bay for that now as well. I want to point out, Erica, that uh, Joanne, uh, Joanne G on Instagram just messaged us to say, my husband and I love Barrier Bay. We stay there every summer for a week, and it's the best week of the summer for us. Awesome. Um, Thanks, Joanne. What are you doing for Valentine's Day to honor frontline workers? So what happened was we had a rental, and then a, and then that didn't work. Some, someone had to change something. We had to change another rental, and then it's the weirdest thing. So we ended up with one night on Valentine's in Swallow's Nest, one of our King Deluxe cabins, and we don't do a night rentals. So we thought, what do we do with this? So we thought, why don't we just give it away? And one of the things we've noticed, as I mentioned, we had lots of we've had lots of people doing healthcare getaways, sort of mental health breaks. And we've, in the store, when we greet our guests, we've just heard tons of stories of 
you know, people just going above and beyond. Amazing. You know, from EMTs, we, we host anybody, all adults, EMTs, teachers, admin, um, nurses, police officers, EM, uh, all kinds of emergency workers, all kinds of medical workers. And we've been hosting them for two years now under really stressful conditions. And we've heard amazing stories of people just going above and beyond and just showing love and kindness in just amazing ways. And we thought, how can we, how can we bring some good into the world? How can we bring some, some of these stories and give them a voice with what we have here with giving away the Valentine's package? So we thought, well, why don't we combine those things and get people to share those stories? So if you go to our website and they click on it, we've created a contest for this where you click on it and share a story, an uplifting story of someone who's gone above and beyond for you and showed you love and kindness during this difficult time. And then we we get a gift because we get to read all these stories that we are hearing in the store and we can share them with other people because there's lots of good going on out there. It's an amazing initiative. What kind, How many applications or nominations or whatever you would call it have you received, Erica? And, and what kind of stories have they brought your way? It doesn't open. It doesn't open yet. The contest will open uh, ah. at eight o'clock this morning. Okay. So we we called Brett and said, "This is our idea. What do you think?" And then it kind of snowballed from there because I was saying, you know, we could give this away and we could share these stories. This would be awesome. And then we started calling some of our. We kept it to small businesses. We're a small business, so we called small businesses that we frequented, and everyone wanted to donate. So. There's now a steak dinner from Springfield Meats. There's a dessert from For Us Bakery. There is swag coming your way from different white shell organizations. There is uh, wine from a a company uh, in the city. We have breakfast and coffee by Robin's Donuts from Gimli. Like people just started giving. People in Manitoba are so generous. So now it's become a package. And and there's more. Oh, and oh, right. And we got uh, someone offered couples yoga from two peaceful warriors yoga so i mean and people just are contacting us now just friends and family contacting us so now this has gone out there if people want to donate and make it even a bigger package we're more than happy to give away that's fantastic erica this is great Uh, i'm so jealous of the way of life you've created for yourself it sounds like a wonderful (laughs) way to live providing hospitality like this thanks for this and will you keep us up to date and maybe come back and share some stories that you've received as we head towards valentine's day i would absolutely love to and the way to enter is to go to our website to go to www.barrybay.com and then we've created a button last night very late we created a button that says contest here you can go in put your submission tell us how someone has made a difference in your life how they showed love and kindness and and made a difference and then we will read through i don't know i don't know how many submissions there will be i may have to bring more people if there's a lot i may have to bring more people to read uh to read them and uh, we'll i'd be happy to come back on and talk about the stories that came in well, we appreciate the heads up that you gave us in this, Erica. And it's nice to talk to you again. Thank you so much. And uh, thanks for doing what you do at Barrier Bay. I had a wonderful time in 2018. Thank you, Brett. Have a great day. We're close to the edge now on our ICU system. Are you not, are you not giving up uh, if you're shifting away from containing the virus to trying to manage the numbers that we know are continuing to well, I think we already have a lot of, you know, restrictions in place. Let's not lose sight of that. You know, so we have those in place. Those restrictions are in place. The fact of the matter is, and, and certainly the doctors can can talk about this, you know, uh, uh, more and, and can elaborate on this. But this virus is in our community. It, it, it is spreading. It's very spreading very quickly. 
but reminder that we already have, you know, among the most stringent rules in place if you look across the country. So, um, that was Manitoba Premier Heather Stephenson's answer to Canadian press reporter and frequent guest on The Start, Steve Lambert's question about the approach to increasing numbers of Manitobans filling intensive care units in Manitoba hospitals. So we often like to hear from people who are working in those hospitals. Of course, the officials have their say. Dr. Christian Thompson is Dr. Manitoba president and also an ER doctor at St. Boniface. And he says he isn't giving up, but it's tough going. You know, we're, we're two years into this pandemic. Um, uh, you know, granted, I, 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 I knew what I was getting into when I signed up to be an ER physician. Uh, it, it is a hectic environment, um, but it's an environment that, you know, it's, it's a team sport. And we rely so heavily on, uh, you know, on, on working together with, you know, my nursing colleagues, my the healthcare aides, respiratory therapists, you know, custodial staff. We all work as a cohesive team. And, and, and you know, just not being able to, to, to treat folks the way that we've been trained to do or, or equipped to do, um, that moral distress has really, really weighed on us. We have, we're seeing a lot of staff who are, who are sick with COVID, who aren't able to work. Um, so we're, we're not just seeing, um, you know, folks not able to come in because they're sick, but we're seeing folks not, not coming in because they've left because uh, they're burnt out. Uh, so they've, they've worked, you know, they're, they're working now in, in other areas, uh, sectors of, of, of healthcare uh, where, where things are, are less stressful. Um, so, so this is a, this is a significant issue um, and, and we really need to uh, take care of our frontline workers um, who've been struggling all throughout these two years. But now when we see the worst case counts and, and numbers that we've seen in this pandemic, now more than ever, we need to look out for these folks and help them. Now, despite that get-it-done attitude, no matter the circumstance, Thompson shared just how difficult it's become for he and his colleagues to do their jobs, how challenging it is to provide quality care for all patients. You know, I'm starting to feel like, a, 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 sounding like a, a bit of a broken record. It seems like every time I'm, I'm interviewed in the last few weeks, I've been telling uh, folks that, you know, I've never seen it this bad. Well, I'm, I'm going to say the same thing again. I, I really, truly have never seen things this bad. Uh, and, it, and it only seems to be getting worse. Um, you know, our, our, our healthcare system is on the brink. We are full. Uh, and and it, we're not just seeing a backlog in, in, you know, surgical and diagnostic testing, but what we're seeing, um, uh, it backed up everywhere. So family medicine clinics, the ER, uh, ERs where, where, I, where I work in our ICUs, we just do not have uh, the proper capacity uh, built into our healthcare system to deal with this surge in both volume and acuity. And, and folks are... Are, are are dealing with situations that you know we we've we've never wanted to have to deal with you know having patients in in the hallway I had a, a patient waiting ten hours uh, a cancer patient who was throwing up in the bucket and the only thing I could do for him is is bring him a cold towel and a, and another bucket to have because I didn't have a bed to treat him in and, and it's just these devastating things that that we see that that cause such moral distress because we can't care for our patients the way we want to. Um, and, and so, yes, things are, are, are really, really bad. We are backed up, and we're seeing that backup everywhere. Richard Cloutier asked Christian Thompson a very straightforward question as part of their discussion yesterday afternoon on the news. And my question for you, doctor, is what can we do? What can we do as Manitobans? And what's your message to the politicians who I, I think they're sincere in trying to deal with this, but sometimes they feel somewhat hopeless because of Omicron? What's your message? Yeah. My first message 
and this is to everyone, is now, especially now when we're on, we're at the precipice of just this, this horrible situation, uh, you know, and the precipice of collapse, now is not the time to lose hope. So you, we have to maintain that. We have to be kind and support one another. We have to respect one another. We have to understand that we're all feeling this. We're all frustrated. Um, we, we, we need to understand that the public health restrictions are a minimum. You know, we need to go beyond them. We, Manitobans need to do everything they can. Decrease your contacts, social distancing, um, you know, uh, get vaccinated, right? The best tool we have uh, to, to combat uh, this, this uh, pandemic. Um, you know, uh, not going to work when you have symptoms, hand washing, all these things that we've been talking about for the past two years. Um, you know, ensuring that, that we, um, you know, that we're adhering to those, those core principles. Folks who aren't vaccinated, you know, talk to your doctor. Uh, you know, we, we can't we can't uh, promote and, and, and support divisive politics. This is a, this isn't a political issue. We need to support one another and, and folks that are hesitant. Talk to your doctor, ask the hard questions and, and get the information you need to make an informed decision. And, and, and finally, I, I, my, my advice to you know, folks who are making decisions, you know, listen to the frontline workers. You know, we we know in a very visceral and real way uh, what needs to be done to, to help take care of our patients. Um, you know, we've been asking uh, for, you know, what what is the surge capacity plan? Uh, we've been asking for two years now and we still haven't seen it. You know, listen to physicians, listen to nurses, listen to healthcare aides. Um, you know, we we see day to day what our patients need and help us give us the tools and the resources to do what we need to do to do our job to take care of Manitobans. And by working together, uh, we will get through this pandemic. We learned about a new global news series called Influenced. Yeah, and it's taking a look at social media, you know, the idea that there's privacy breaches, harmful content driving extremist movements. It really influences a lot of dangers in the real world. And so we're asking the question this morning, Greg, can the federal government regulate it? And it's a fascinating question because I yesterday was telling you guys how I clicked on this tweet was about to share it because I was like, this can't, this is ins- outrageous. I can't believe this is what this politician in, in Britain is saying. It turned out to be an actress, like a comedian doing a parody because I double checked first. But there were so many people reacting to it saying, this is so terrible, blah, 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 because, because the content is being shared so rapidly that there's no critical thinking going on sometimes, Greg. Yeah, so it's really tough uh, even for the platforms to keep up. And so the question has been levied, what can Ottawa do? What can governments around the globe do? Global's Anne Gaviola takes a look at what might happen or what could happen here in Canada. There's entire teams of engineers whose job is to use your psychology against you. What was once social media's great secret is now out in the open. Last September, Facebook whistleblower Frances Haugen provided evidence, proof, she says. The company knew its platforms prioritized profits over its users' well-being and that its products harmed children and stoked division. Facebook rebranded itself as Meta in late October. A spokesperson for the company's Canadian division tells Global News, for years, Meta has done extensive work in bullying, suicide, self-injury and eating disorder prevention and will continue to look for opportunities to help people struggling. Solomon Ahmed coaches businesses to leverage social media for bottom line results, but he worries about the influence social media has on his three children. I think that that needs to be more carefully scrutinized by government and regulators and other people 
Um, not just left to the whims of social media platforms. In the last parliament, the Liberal government introduced bills to address online hate and privacy concerns, but they died when parliament was dissolved for the 2021 election. During the campaign, the Liberals pledged to bring back new bills within their government's first 100 days to combat harmful content on social media. So far, nothing new. Just the Heritage Department saying it will continue to consult Canadians, experts and stakeholders on how best to tackle these complex issues while upholding fundamental rights. We're laggards. We're behind Australia. We're behind Germany. We're behind the United Kingdom. Cracking down on foreign tech giants isn't easy. It's really difficult to compel them to do what they don't want to do, what they can't do. because it goes against their business models. The root of the problem, the more we click, the more we engage, the more they earn. That's given rise to algorithms that amplify inflammatory content. It's a global concern. In Canada, opposition MPs say they want a measured, collaborative approach that brings tech titans to the table. We want to see an approach where we're not unduly uh, restricting you know, the freedom of speech, freedom of expression of Canadians who want to be able to express themselves online. Algorithms are driving extremist content, the breakdown of social discourse. There has to be accountability. Many observers are calling for immediate action after a quarter century of inaction. So those algorithms really are supposed to be your friend, right? They're supposed to uh, create a situation where whatever platform you're on, you're seeing the things that you want to see, things that you're interested in seeing. Uh, it picks up on your clicking habits, how long you spend on uh, different sites or on different accounts. And so that algorithm is sort of custom made for you. But what it also does is it creates that echo chamber. And so uh, social media has the ability to feed you the information that you want, but also the things that verify and justify the feelings that you have about certain issues and so it often the algorithm will mean that you don't see counter arguments counter discussions to the things that you are interested in so it works against you uh, from that point of view and I know with my kids I've had to just sort of, you know, I can remember it was, uh, I think it was the NHL trade deadline day. This is not a serious issue by any question or by any means, but one of my boys came running downstairs to say, Shane Goss, this beer is coming to the Jets. I'm like, I haven't heard anything about that. He says, right here, it's on this uh, on this Twitter account. Okay, let's sit down. Let's take a look and see whose account it is, what's their history. And very quickly, he realized that this account was a faux account, one that was designed to do exactly what it did. That's to get people excited, to generate clicks, to direct people to the website that's full of rumors and things that essentially end up being never true. And so that's part of the learning curve. And that's part of what's going on on the internet and these, as Kelly Moore calls them, the anti-social media that is is helping this become our own worst enemy, Loren. And you're right. Sometimes it's not serious information. It's, it's you know, the sports trade that you're talking about, the hockey trade to the that didn't happen. It, you know, the account I was on yesterday looking at a comedic parody. It's not it's not make or break stuff, but it perpetuates this idea out there that whether it's something that's rather innocuous or something serious, the more often it happens, the more often that that false information is spread. And when it is something serious, it becomes a problem. I was tr- interacting with a professor and a, a doctor in the States yesterday who had a whole course at one point called The Art of Dissecting BS 
because it's become such a huge issue and, and social media plays a role in that. And I think, Brett, on top of how we talk about what to do about it, we need to be talking to each other about that critical thinking and how do you pausing just the same way you don't instantly spread a rumor about someone, you know, the next door neighbor, you pause and think, wait a minute, could this be true? Could I double check this? Where, where do I double check this? And that kind of stuff might have to be taught. And another thing too, that is problematic with social media on one hand, it can be a nice, happy, fun escape. Like I, I love Instagram and, and my algorithm has now taken to feed me videos of cute animals. And I've shared a video on my Instagram story of three little otters squeaking and pleading for food. And it's the cutest thing I saw all day yesterday. That kind of stuff makes me happy. And then I go on Twitter which, <laughs> Greg, you shared a video with us a couple of days ago, and it was the caption, Twitter, or th- this video sums up what Twitter is in 15 seconds. And it was, right. a, it was a, uh, I believe, a Spanish reporter speaking to a goat, and this goat is spitting in his face and yelling at him. And it's the, honestly, one of the, it might be the funniest thing I've ever seen. I can't stop watching it. I can't stop laughing at it. But it's true. Twitter is... A place where that that fuels and feeds so much anger, and in this time where everyone, where so many people are saying, "Let's be kind to each other, let's be compassionate," you go on Twitter, and it can be the exact opposite. And uh, it's gotten to the point where, like when the pandemic first started, it really bothered me, and now I just. I, I all I can do is really just kind of laugh at it and just sort of throw my hands up in the air because. Uh, it, it, that's the kind of thing, Greg. That if you let it, will consume you. Yes, and I've you know I've also seen uh, individuals say I daren't click on this story because it's going to now affect my algorithm and the stories that I've seen. I've seen people that are cognizant of the fact that one click could yeah. create a series of. Of, of things showing up in their feed that maybe they don't really want to be exposed to, but the interest initially gets the best of them. And so that sets off a whole series of ramifications, cascading ramifications for you, Brett, yes. uh, that you're not really anticipating <laughs> unless you're educated about this. And we have a, a lust for gossip, right? Sure. Like sure. if you go back, I, I, I know there's a study out there and I just looked it up, Dr. Nicholas L- Emler in the in the in Great Britain says they've done this study and this number has been out there for a while now it goes back to 2009 at least 80 percent of our conversation of our communication is gossip yeah so we love to do that sort of thing well social media has just taken that and uh, put it on 13 out of 10 you'd think I was interested in losing weight based on the ads that are in my feed <laughs> Like I Google it a lot. <laughs> no noom. I'm not interested. No Jim. I'm not interested. Peloton. Why? I got a Peloton ad flashing in front of me right now. Mackling McGarry McNabb keys to the game coming up in just 30 seconds time. But uh, I just want to read this text from Brett on the social media conversation we were having. Brett says, OMG. I just now discovered these two new phone features. Apparently, there's a power off button and there's the ability to uninstall an app too. Wow. <laughs> Brett. We, we don't have to go on Twitter. Is that what he's trying to say? We can, we can help ourselves. Help me help you. 
like turning off your phone. He's right. Anytime I manage to actually pick up my phone, put it in a different room, walk back to the couch. <sighs> yes. My, my, one of my best vacations is when I put the phone in the safe. Like I didn't even bring it oh, out you yeah. know, for photos or anything. It just wasn't part of my life for a whole seven days. It was miraculous. Mm-hmm. But for the tens of millions who do like to use the social media, it's important that they understand and they know exactly how it works and how it's manipulating you. So Brett, kudos to you for being able to operate those buttons on your phone. Most people just aren't there. <laughs> Calgary retiree has rediscovered something that I think uh, most people associate with the circus or people who are very, very athletic. Getting outside and staying active is helping a lot of people get through the COVID-19 pandemic as well. And Gil Tucker is going to tell us about a Calgary man rediscovering this unusual pursuit and helping others enjoy the outdoors while he's at it. Stephen Bennett setting off riding high. It's great exercise. I'm outdoors. And what a spot for it. Glenbow Ranch Park, just east of Cochrane. The trails are just beautiful here. The views are incredible and the terrain uh, is really nice. It goes up and down. Shifting gears from his usual fitness routine, Stephen had been staying in shape swimming and working out at the gym until COVID hit. Gym was closing and opening and closing so I resurrected my unicycling skills. Something he'd started developing on this when he was 15. I've kept it all these years. Now, after decades away from it, he's back in the saddle. So I picked it up uh, at the age of 62. And then I started coming here and uh, cycling for like eight or 10 kilometers. I'll do it in any type of weather. Sometimes it's raining. One of my rides was in minus 20. Getting so much out of it, he's decided to take the money he was spending on his gym membership and donate it to this park. I can see the happiness that it brings a lot of people. During the lockdown in COVID, we saw about a 200% increase in visitation to the park. So we're busy out here and to have people like Stephen support us is actually a really beautiful thing. And I hope it inspires other people to do the same. That's what the pandemic can do to you. You rediscover new things. So what happens when the pandemic winds down? probably go back to the gym a little bit but I will always maintain the unicycling here this is forever maybe after 82 I might start slowing down a little bit maybe I'll you know go to an e unicycle or something Phil Tucker Global News I like the line in there where he says people get joy or enjoy seeing me out there too it could be this thing that you're doing in a pandemic the gift that's giving others watching anyone on a unicycle is fascinating i i do not get it i could not do it but i love what's coming in from our listeners in terms of the things that they've been trying the hobbies they've been getting back one text came in just now guys fortier was talking about starting a was it a pipe band fortier joining a pipe band not oh, starting one start joining no one. you're just gonna go looking for a pipe band yeah. and start drumming in it okay you don't want the administration hassle <laughs> of, of being in charge yeah that's way <laughs> too much for me way too much this listener just said, 
I have discovered I'm actually playing better now in semi-seclusion than when I was in school. Currently, I'm in three different community bands, and I sub for a few others. They have rediscovered playing music, they said, in this pandemic. That's the hobby that they're getting back into. So they're in three different bands. You should ask what kind and can Fortier join. Yeah, that'd be a good question. And the unicycle as well. One of our listeners uh, said earlier this morning that there's a teacher, he believed there was a teacher that taught uh, students how to ride a unicycle and that this person rides a unicycle all the time. And if you spent any time in downtown Winnipeg over the last several years, even in the winter, there is a gentleman who rides his unicycle. Uh, I've seen him multiple times in the area of the University of Winnipeg. It's not uncommon to see him on the worst days riding on the sidewalk. Uh, I know that's a no-no, but uh, really you're going to ride a a unicycle on the street. So uh, this is something I've only known one person in my life who can ride a unicycle. My buddy Al, he's about six foot three and 250 pounds. And he can ride that unicycle like nobody's business. It's unbelievable, the athleticism that is required. And the fact that he can ride that thing is absolutely beyond impressive. And I think it was Jeff Gray, uh, Brett, the Blue Bomber offensive lineman. He had his NFL, NFL day when all the scouts came to the University of Manitoba. I think there was 14 teams who came to take a look at him and, and see all the different things he could do. And at the end of it, he came out on a unicycle. <laughs> To prove just how athletic he was. Wow. Yeah, the unicycle, it, it, you're right, Loren. It's one of the most fascinating, mesmerizing things to watch because it's such a unique skill and it just feels like it's just, it looks perilous. As a, I've never tried it. And for those who are good at it, maybe it's just like breathing for them. But I just, there was a guy, I would, like when we, when the radio station was on Portage at 9.30 Portage, kind of in the Wolsey area, um, when Jeff Braun and I would go out for a smoke in the back lane, this teenager would ride by all the time on a unicycle, sometimes like uh, while he was reading a book. And I just thought, are you... Come on. And then uh, (laughs) I was watching, I was flipping through channels the other day, and Howie Mandel was filling in for Ellen, and he was playing this game where it was, uh, he had to guess which person was telling the truth on what their hidden talent was. And there was this big hulking guy who said he can tear phone books in half, and there was a woman who says she can break ice blo- or blocks of ice with her head because she was a Taekwondo master. And the third guy said he rides a 15-foot unicycle while juggling knives. And he was the one, and he did it. And it oh was insane. Word. He gets on this massive unicycle and he's juggling knives. And uh, and then he sort of j- very gracefully jumped off of the, the unicycle. And uh, wow. How, how does this happen? Like you're out riding a unicycle and you say to yourself, you know what we should do? As if it wasn't dangerous enough for me to be on this one-wheeled Let's seat with this zero really handles. interesting. Why don't we toss him some live grenades while we're at it and see what he does with it, for God's sakes. <laughs> Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, we have our winning text, 204-780-6868 on hobbies you'll revisit. And it's actually a pretty long story here, so we don't have time to read a whole bunch. But I do want to share this one on the unicycle. We had somebody actually comment earlier, I've got a unicycle in storage. I won't attempt riding it again until emergency rooms and hospitals get to reasonable numbers uh, because I can't afford to trade it in for a four-wheel chair uh, right now. So... (laughs) 
That's, someone knowing their limitations, yeah. which is important. <laughs> but our winner on the hobbies that we would revisit comes from Dave, a.k.a. the Star wars Aholic, who we actually had on our show a while back. And he reminds us, as you know, I've been into toy photography uh, is a hobby of his uh, his Instagram. Star Wars Aholic is amazing. He takes photographs of Star Wars toys, sort of in fr- like framed like action scenes, and it's fantastic. As you know, I've been into this hobby for a few years now. But what you may not know is that I used to sing for a local hard rock band for nearly ten years. We broke up in 2015, and I hadn't really done anything musical for a long time. Anyway, long story short, my son, now 17, always grew up with the band and instruments around him, and he drew a strong connection to the guitar. So one day I heard what I thought was Metallica on the stereo coming from his room downstairs. Turns out it was him playing the guitar. I was floored that he had this hidden talent, which seemed to all of a sudden come out of nowhere. Well, one thing led to another, and we wrote our first song together. He wrote and recorded the guitar parts, and I recorded the bass, drums, and vocals. It was to be just a low-budget home studio basement recording for fun during the 2020 lockdowns, but I played it for an old producer friend of mine, and he offered to remix and master it for us for uh, and master it for nothing. He goes on to say, I know it's no hit song or anything professional, but it certainly was fun to write the first song ever as father and son after watching him struggle to play all these years growing up. Needless to say, music is a hobby that never really dies in us. It just gets put on hold like kindling, so to speak, and just needs a little inspiration again to ignite the flame. Happy to be back doing it again and with my son is even more priceless. Priceless. Hashtag Proud Papa. So the song is called Days Away, spelled D-A-Z-E, and they've called themselves Mudhorn. And I'm going to fire that up for you here. Uh, just give me one second. So this is a father and son just putting this together themselves. It sounds like Sounds like something you'd hear in the 1993 movie The Crow. Yeah. I think this is pretty good. Yeah. It's fantastic. I can't believe how good that sounds. So that's amazing, Dave. And what a that's a neat, neat story. So well done, sir. Loren, you have a question for our audience. Well, I'm just wondering how everyone's feeling after listening to the wide-ranging pieces of information that came out of that news or yesterday, the 90 minutes. As we said at the top of our show at 6 a.m., the couch potato review for it was, I think, three and a half stars, three and a half cushions. Three and a half couch cushions out of five. Yeah, and that, that was right. largely due to the fact that they stayed out there for an hour and a half answering lots of, uh, where they were just getting peppered with questions. So I appreciated the fact that they stayed out there. Yeah, I don't know if it made a lot of things clearer for people or if you liked what was being said. You know, essentially the message in from officials now is that we're most likely to be exposed to Omicron in the near future. And so we're moving away from this uh, approach where we sort of try to contain it to focus on mitigating the risk. And I just wonder what people are thinking, because it's been almost two years of varying public health measures. We've been in and out of them, in and out of them. We're in a fourth wave right now. I don't know if you just heard in the background my oldest sign. 
as he does his remote learning. It was the loudest sigh ever because they started the week off excited, but it's hard staring at that screen all day long. And so there's that in some families that people are thinking. And, you know, for me, when I was listening to them off the hop, I was like, what is the point of this whole thing? Like, where's this going? Is there an announcement or what's happening? And then we learned about this shifting in strategy and, and some more context to the numbers. And, and the one thing that kept going through my mind is like, well, for learning to live with this virus, are we changing anything about the rules right now? You know, or are we going back to more normal on any fronts? And then you listen to doctors, Greg. We played some clips from Dr. Thompson at 8 o'clock who was just talking about this challenging situation in hospitals right now. No matter what the numbers are, no matter the context for them, there's more people in the hospital right now than they can handle or they're bare, or that they can barely handle. And putting much more pressure on the system is, is really worrying them. And he, he talked about how he just has patients that he can't do more than hand them a bucket to throw up in while they're waiting for care because there's no bed to take them to. And so I, I just have these confusing emotions right now. No, Moose is worked up about it as well, I think. And, you know, we use this terminology, the healthcare system, and we throw it out there. But at the core are people. People who have been at it, you know, up and down, and for the most part, an all-out sprint since last fall, you know. And and it's uh, something that people are at the core of this. And there are so many people that are have had enough people who are dedicated individuals. We've spoken to nurses over the years on different programs and it's a calling. You don't become a doctor. Yeah. You make, you make a, a good living, but listen, the lifestyle is uh, beyond challenging. Uh, nursing is the same way. You might make a, a good living, but you sacrifice a lot uh, to be one of these healthcare professionals. And of course there's a support staff as well, because if one person calls in sick, uh, you know, for the most part, there's somebody there uh, filling in, either taking on another full shift or maybe a half shift in order to get the job done. These are just the type of individuals they are. And that's, and that's the part that gets to me is when I hear, when I hear like somebody like Dr. Thompson putting it in real terms and what they're facing, because there's still judgment, people wondering what's actually going on behind those closed doors. And what do these numbers mean? And it means that there are some people, very dedicated people, who are exhausted and are questioning whether or not they want to continue in a vocation that really means everything to them. And, and that on its own raises uh, my eyebrows and, and raises huge uh, amounts of concern because, yes, our healthcare system was, you know, a little bit of a mess before any of this happened. Reorganization has been taking place. There have been all sorts of changes in the way uh, shared health is prov provides healthcare in uh, Winnipeg in particular. We've had the closing of several emergency rooms, the amalgamation of emergency rooms, urgent care, all these different things that have happened. And so it has people saying, hey, you know what? This system's been uh, mucked up for a long time. Yeah, you know what? You're right. And so I just hope on the other end of this that we won't forget, you know, the idea of being prepared for the worst as opposed to running a system that that is predicated on the idea of everybody being as busy as they can for as many hours of the day as they can. Uh, so, you know, that, that it can be uh, quote unquote, as efficient as possible. I think we're learning some lessons on that front, Brett. All right. So weigh in at 204-780-6868. And now, uh, Greg, you had two other places you wanted to go. You wanted to read uh, one of the hobby texts that we received as it pertained to collecting hockey cards. And you also had a quiz for Loren and I, on cinnamon buns. So where do you want to go? 
<laughs> the dramatic shift from what we were just talking about, no matter which way you go. I think the softer move uh, from fifth to maybe third gear has to come from uh, Dan. Uh, he calls himself the Earl of Eli, and he says, I have no problem in admitting uh, that I am a 51-year-old, soon-to-be 52-year-old man that collects hockey cards. I started back when I was five or six, and my dad would get me a pack from the rink canteen after one of my hockey games. I would get another pack if I scored a goal and dabbled in the hobby through my life, but having a family and work always seemed to get in the way. Once the kids moved out, I spent more time buying and selling and trading them, and over the last two years, they have been my escape from reality. I still feel like I'm six every time I rip open a package, and to this day, my 84-year-old father buys me a pack of cards every time he goes to Tim Hortons to get a coffee. I can tell you firsthand that the hobby has seen tons of new interests since the start of the pandemic. Supply and demand has become a huge issue, and the hobby is seeing a boom similar to the one that was seen in the 1990s. Yeah, that 1990s uh, card collecting boom was pretty incredible. There were card shops popping up all over the place. Uh, just in Transcona alone, I think there were three or four that just sort of appeared out of nowhere. There was one... Like there, there used to be a place on Day Street, just at Day Street in Victoria, called the Comic Factory, and I used to love going there. And then right next door, a place called D and D Cards opened up, and they they were both uh, small shops. And D and D very quickly needed to expand, so it moved around the corner, just a couple of blocks up on Regent. And then I think within two years they were gone because. I don't know what happened, but I, I think there are just so many cards being collected, and then it just kind of went poof, and that was the end of it. And a whole bunch of uh, those shops closed en masse, which kind of made me sad, because I, wow. I, too, got into collecting all those cards. I was collecting basketball cards and Marvel Comics cards. Uh, maybe it's just because there were so many stores and there were so many cards that they all lost their value. I can't really remember what happened there. but Well, people were maybe buying their moms them for the wrong reason. Up. No, no, it's the moms. The moms are like, if you bring any more cards into this house, they're going up the vacuum. That's the rule here. So, well, if that's what happened. Floor, that's what gone. happened in the seventies and the eighties. That's why those t- those cards from the sixties, seventies, and eighties became so valuable. Becomes moms and dads alike were were frustrated with having to clean up after their kids with the cards, and so the cards ended up in the garbage. So that's what made them rare and collectible. But in the late eighties, <laughs> early nineties, when this whole thing started. People were buying these uh, boxes of of basketball and baseball cards like they were, uh, you know, uh, investments in a mutual fund. It's like, oh, here's my retirement. <laughs> That's right what I'm here. talking about. My son's going through this. My husband's old cards because he's convinced. He's so sure. Mm. Just, Mom, check out this one. This is this a good one? I'm like, I don't know, man. That guy's from 1975. Like, I don't know. <sighs> I'm not getting rich off this box. It's just frustrating me just to look at it. Yeah, yeah I, I've got, I, I don't have a massive collection of comic books, but I remember once I, I had a couple in there and I thought, this has to be worth something. And I looked it up and it was worth like eight bucks in yeah. mint condition. Yeah. And in my, in my copy isn't even, it, it would be in, I would consider it in good condition. So it's like, wow, so much for that. This you is why I buy baby because think- those will make mine that much more valuable. <laughs> <laughs> my mother in I think is laughing maniacally somewhere, you know, when she brought these, saved them all these years for her son. Here you go, Loren. Here's something the kids will enjoy. 17 million hockey cards. 
<laughs> All right, Greg, what's the cinnamon bun question? Oh, boy. Okay, so uh, um, we've had these cinnamon buns in the house uh, for the last uh, two weeks now. Uh, I'm, like, we're on our third package now. So I'm just curious how you guys eat yours. Do you do you break them into pieces, like unravel them, or do you cut them in half? Brett? I don't. Oh, you don't eat cinnamon buns? No. Oh, well, this is no fun then. <laughs> it's not that I don't like them. I just, I, I don't like them enough to go out of my way to to get them. I, I, I think I've maybe had two in my life. Okay, so Loren, question is for you. In the I'm not much healthier either, but I will unroll them. I'll unroll them unroll and if they have them? raisins okay, and do you in like them, them grilled? they go in the garbage. Oh, sorry, what? Now you're, now you're stepping this. I don't grill. I Honestly, I can't remember the last time I had a cinnamon bun either, but it's definitely... Well, you know, you could have said neither grill. one of you eat cinnamon buns. I could sit here and talk to myself about cinnamon buns. You that's just said no you fun. had a cinnamon bun question. I didn't know where it was going. I don't know if that's a mm. euphemism no, I said for I had a quiz. I had a whole quiz here. Well, quiz is over. Here's a question. <laughs> <laughs> How do you eat your chips, Brett? Put the whole thing in your mouth? Do you bite them? Do you lick the salt off first or the cheesy dust? That's Gross. a real, that's the question I want to get the uh, answer to. I tend to be a fistful kind of guy. Like I'm like <laughs> just sort of fistful of chips, and then I just sort of shove them all into my face. Uh, same with popcorn. Um, yeah, I'm disgusting when I eat potato chips. So, yeah, sorry, Greg. I, I, if I were to eat a cinnamon bun right now, I yeah. would not. I would not unroll it. All right. Well, I was working towards the question about do you put more butter on it, but it doesn't matter. You guys don't eat them. No. I'm sorry. Shouldn't a good cinnamon bun have enough icing on it or whatever yeah, that you wouldn't need to add anything to it? Oh, yeah. No, yeah, they're good on their own. But uh, see, this is the problem. I separate them. I like to grill them and butter them and then put more butter on. So what's the I name just of the... wanted to know if I was alone in that. What's the name of the place? I think they've got a shop in the Forks and Wolseley, I believe. Tallgrass? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They. My mom liked their cinnamon buns. So I remember They're going. Splendid. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know what? Maybe I'll have to revisit the cinnamon bun uh, based on this because now, because I'm curious, especially grilling one. My goodness. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show. Tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.